Yeah, exactly, right? I'm going to press this button. It's blue, and momentarily it's going to go red. In fact, that was very quick. It just went red in five immediately, which means we're live. Hello, everyone. Uh, crikey. It still says 1900 on my little computer clock, which means that we are not late, despite the fact that I assemb started assembling this slide deck 20 minutes ago, which is uh, shorter than ever before. Uh, but it's fine. Uh, blame day job work. Uh, George, George is George is here. George Chilcott is here. George, wait a minute. Let me press this button. George, hello. Hello. Thanks for having <laughs> right. me. No, it's a pleasure. Uh, yeah, I, I sure. I'm sure you know exactly how it is. I was panickingly. Actually, I've gone back to my roots. I've, I've become a cab monkey again. Uh, in that I'm doing some weirdly being like helicoptered into a particular project that I'm definitely not going to name. It's not anything to do with your project. Don't worry. Um, to do some some epic fast cab work, uh, and it's like getting back to my roots again. It's quite. It's quite good. Oh, very good. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, right. Enough of me waffling. We. Uh, what. What are we here to do? Well, let's let's go back to the. Let's go back to the. We're here to talk. It's Rail Week. It's Rail Week, it everyone. It's Rail Happy Week. Happy Rail Week. Hooray! Um, it's the it's the first full week. It's always the first full week in October, right? You, is that pretty much your, or does yep. it ever shift slightly? Well, that's how we time it every year, and it's been going since two thousand and sixteen. So we're in the fifth year. I remember the first one. I, I think I got quite involved. I, I think I, ma I, I staffed a, uh, a table in, uh, in New York Station, actually, for the first one. It's quite good. I was there, like, very pleased with my sort of saying hello, just waving at random passers-by on a table in, uh, yeah, that was the first rail week. I remember it. I did a presentation. Oh, I did. I did. I could probably dust that presentation off and do, like, a comedy rail matter slide deck of my <laughs> rail week slide presentation that I did. I went out to some, like, uh, sixth form colleges and like did this presentation and it was very clever you clicked on a, a button like you clicked on a thing on the slide and it we're, we're, this is already a massive digression i'm so sorry everyone you clicked on a button on the slide and it like took you to a thing describing all the different jobs that could be associated with that thing and i liked it I, anyway well that's exactly what um you know that's what we need that's what rail week's all about and you know standing uh, like a numpty in a railway station with a sign that says you know rail the rail agency isn't the scary uh inaccessible place that you think it might be is it's, it's just the start you know um every little helps so i was uh, yeah the, i think the point was like you clicked on one thing and it just spat out a load of different jobs that you'd never think of it's like no it's not just like the job the railway engineer the the train driver the station master and that's it that's not the whole railway and it was kind of pointing out diversity that anyway we, we'll maybe get to that oh i see simon is in hi simon simon's in the chat uh, hello, everyone who's joined us in the chat. Hello, Masquette. Oh, exciting Masquette news. Um, in, possibly to be teased later, but probably also uh, next episode. But anyway, we'll get to that. Oh, my goodness, George. I've already... It's already... We're already three minutes in, and I've just gone on a tremendous tirade and gone off on one. Right, so without further ado, let us press on to look at, first of all, the usual, which is our uh, COVID stats. How's the sound balance, everyone? Are you... Uh, is it, it's all fine, everyone in the chat? Let us know. Uh, it sounds pretty good at my end, but... Uh, uh, right, so here we go. Um, yeah, look, rail has done a bit of a, it's gone a bit weird. Um, and I think, so So rail looks a little bit like it's sort of leveling off here. So you can see this this sort of bit here. Uh, it's kind of leveled off. It's leveling off at, around the sort of 65 to sort of 70% mark. Uh, this is the overall trend. So you can see this is ba right back in the, in the heady days before we knew what on earth was going on. Uh, the big drop. The steady climb through 2020, and then the big drop off through winter again, and we've got to be kind of aware that we are coming up to another winter period. And are we going to see more lockdowns? More? We just don't know. Um, so, 
got to pay attention to that. But uh, I think the key question I've got, uh, I mean, George, you might have an answer to this, but also in the chat, a few of you might have an idea of this, uh, particularly anyone who's involved in timetabling or the train operating companies is, because I think possibly this could account for the slowing of those figures, um, is what percentage of pre-COVID timetable is actually being run at the moment? Because it's not the full timetable. So there's a potential that if we are running a 75% timetable, that we're actually reaching the limit of people's ability to actually fit on trains. So we might well be more congested. The network might be, or trains might be more congested now than they were pre-COVID. Um, so I'm interested, uh, while, while kind of in the chat, if, if anyone has an answer to that, feel free to drop that in, because I'm very interested to know what, like exactly what those numbers are. Because if we're, if we're kind of punching up, you know, if we're running a 75% service uh, and we're kind of punching up against that, then it's pretty obvious that we're, you know, we're not going to be reaching any any higher any point soon. So, um, yeah, we've got so freight is definitely 100. percent I'm aware of that. Rail freight is back to pre 100 percent of pre-COVID levels, and in lots of cases, more than that. Uh, Simon can attest to that, I'm sure. Um, in the chat, thanks, Simon. Yeah, and George, any thoughts? Have you have you got any thoughts on this? Have you seen any 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 got any insights on this from your perspective? I mean, I'm an enthusiastic commuter. If anyone has ever said that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and you know I've been thoroughly encouraging people over the last few months where it's safe to get back to using the network and and going back to work uh, supporting the local economy and and such like rather than just um, paying for Jeff Bezos to go to the moon yeah. wherever he's gone. Uh, but no, I'm 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 as intrigued by this as you are. Uh, like you say, if there is a bit of a capacity ceiling, but um, we're seeing uh, companies uh, across the young rail professionals network starting to mandate their staff to go back to work for a period of uh, you know of the week. Um, to try and encourage collaboration and all the great things that you get out of going back to the office. So it surprises me that it's levelling. I would have thought towards you know any announcements being made, measures being made, that it would keep rising. So I'm afraid not. Yeah, I mean certainly from my from my uh, the people the contacts I have within the the various train operating companies, all of the long distance operators are running at uh, more than pre COVID levels now. They're like back to ninety, a hundred percent, and in some cases more. Um, some of those are still operating reduced timetables. So they're running even more full trains in some cases than they were pre-pandemic. Um, and there's a mixed bag in some cases in relation to the... So so Thameslink is running... In fact, we've got um, Mike Waldridge here pointing out for Thameslink that they're running 100% off-peak and 70 to 80%, uh, 75 to 80% peak. Um, that's rough estimates. Thanks, thank, thanks, Mike. Um, are there some of the long distance operators? Uh, sorry, some of the short distance, shorter distance operators, the mixed operators outside of London, are reporting higher loadings again. You know, so eighty percent. So my guess is that there's still a substantial amount of inner London heavy rail commuting that is accounting for the lower numbers. But again, it, it, it's it's difficult to understand. I, I think I might put in a freedom of information request just to get the numbers exactly on what percentage fewer services are running now than we're running at the start of twenty, you know, the start of twenty uh, twenty. There's uh, always the the, um, the tourism element of rail, which the industry relied heavy, heavily on through the summer. Mm. That's likely to be tailing off now, um, you know, as we go into shorter days and colder weather. Yeah, for sure. So there's almost like a resetting of the pattern a bit, but still, without external, you know, people travelling abroad as much, there'll still be people wanting, you know, their weekends, you know, wanting to do something a weekend away. So, yeah, and of course, leisure, as I moaned about last week, leisure as a category is 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 quite a, a weak way of of capturing the non traditional commute kind of business travellers, because actually, leisure covers a lot of people travelling 
for necessary journeys you know whether it's yep. students or people seeing family and and so on um so yeah it's uh interesting stuff anyway as ever um so already some good chat going on there in in the sidebar thanks everyone so right okay the news um talking of which uh rail freight saves supermarkets bacon uh actually the, the apostrophe should be after the s there really in fact i have the technology wait a minute watch watch this watch this here we go uh and there so uh professional as ever yes uh tesco has pointed out the fact that um its use of rail freight for keeping shelves stocked uh during the supply crisis has been uh a key factor in its uh continuing to make pro- make profits and, and continue to keep shelves stocked um I mean, it's a good news story, but also it's it's bleedingly obvious that when you've got a shortage of drivers, uh, moving a lot of stuff, particularly when it comes to some of the challenges that the... This is a good example of lots of things, not just rail freight kind of domestically, but also rail freight getting over some of the Brexit border challenges, is that these trains are coming up from Spain through the... Uh, a lot of the material are coming up through Spain uh, from Spain through the channel. So, uh, yeah, well worth having a look in, into detail about this, but it's... Um, yeah, it's a really, really good news story. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, nice. it's good to see this sort of thing, George, isn't it? It's a shame we don't shout more loudly about it. Yeah, I agree entirely. Um, it's a natural progression. Get the lorries off the road. And it brings with the additional benefits, like you say. You know, one person with a piece of green or greener equipment moving an awful lot of stuff around the country without clogging up the roads, um, without polluting as much. It's the so- future. It's the future. It is. It's, it's as simple as that. It's the future, folks. We just long distance goods travel is just stupid to be done on the roads. It really is. Um, so that's so that's good news. Uh, some slightly more strange news. Uh, uh, so <laughs> competition, <laughs> rather than you know thinking about where the place that might be best is and then doing it there, there's going to be another competition. Hooray! No, not hooray, because uh, Great British Railways is finding its new headquarters rather than making use of the existing facilities that Network Rail have in Milton Keynes. Obviously, this is a classic case of, of like, uh, mail ego empire building, so it has to be totally different from what went before, so there's going to be a new HQ, which is fine. I don't mind there being a new planned HQ, but it shouldn't be a competition. It should be a process by which we work out where the most sensible place for there to be headquarters is, and then we make it happen there. Anyway... Uh, sorry, George, you don't have to comment. You can you can remain well, lip No, I, I quite like to, actually. I think it also mm. makes the mistake of, of pinning too much on an HQ. The, the, mm. I mean, if you look at other departments that are modernising across Whitehall, they have an awful lot of, of well-placed satellite uh, and important satellite um, locations mm. where they run various functions and use the local uh, population there, uh, you know, to, to, to provide work there and, and to get the best out of that part of the country i think pinning um, an hq it's distracting you know I, and i just don't think it's the most important thing right now i'd also argue that um if you're going to have anywhere where the big wigs sit it probably does need to be close to the source of power i mean the railways are an enormous um, expense for the treasury um and you know a massive uh, a massive sort of political football if you like and need to be near westminster near whitehall so this is this is this is obviously a silly way to choose a location for anything, let alone, you know, something very important for the for the future of the country. Uh, I, let's see let's see where it goes. Couldn't cannot disagree with any of that. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, this is going to be fun. 
free and frank george is here everyone uh <laughs> good stuff right yeah no fully agree it's just it's just doolally for as you say something so critically important it also i, I find it it's it's almost mocking given that the rail industry has been in stasis since basically mm. the middle of control period five so like you know 2017 or whatever uh, we've been in like horrible stasis since then uh with not really uh much yeah like not not really much confidence in what's going on uh you know waiting for the the williams review waiting for william then it was williams shaps now we're in stasis waiting for the irp that's going to be delayed you know H- hs2 will they won't they all this delay all this lack of confidence in the industry and we'll get to why this is critical momentarily i'm sure we'll talk about it a bit um all this delay and, and umming and eyeing it's a bit of a mockery to then say oh look at this great we're we're, we're deciding where the hq is going to be isn't it wonderful and it's going to be a competition it's like we don't want more like uncertainty we don't want more like leveling well, up agenda we, sort of yeah, politics we'd like we the want... experts to tell us where the best place is this is where we want to yeah. put confidence into the industry not saying we've got we don't have a clue so let's run a competition and a vote it's just we don't want more we, we want co- the industry needs confidence so that it can be the right size so that it can employ and, and grow skills uh employ the right people to solve the big questions to answer the exam question we can't answer the exam question if we can't employ the right people to pick up the pencils anyway right <sighs> rant over <sighs> yes well rant over well, for now not. but i fear yeah. that the rest of the episode might well be more <laughs> more of that <laughs> right so happier news it is rail week it is hey. rail week so um i'm gonna go back to the big faces actually in this news article because george Tell us what's been happening with Rail Week so far. We are um, two-thirds of the way through Rail Well, no, that's not true. Three-fifths of the way through Rail Week. How's it going? Yeah, it's, well, it seems like a strange time um, during uh, Rail Week to, uh, uh, to be promoting it in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, hey, but, you know, better late than never. Never. And thanks for having me on to do so. Um, obviously, this happens every year. And Rail Week is just um, a very focused week of what young rail professionals and all of our supporters and and, and corporate supporters and, and, and members do throughout the whole year. So what, what we've been doing this week is exactly what you could find us doing um, every other week. Uh, it's just we, uh, we want to focus you know, the national interest, get a bit of press out there, a bit, um, uh, um, uh, one week a year in particular. And look, we've got a really cool pink colour scheme uh, to you know, really draw the eye and, of course, show our diversity. It's not orange. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, so that's Rail Week. So this week we've had um, careers fairs up and down the country. We've um, got um, a, a webinar event every single evening. Um, we had a tour around the Network Rail Euston site uh, today. Um, there are other depot tours uh, going on in the week. Uh, let me see. Say I'm going to my, my website. We've got um, a really uh, high demand for um, a, an event tonight which is probably clashing with this, um, if you've got uh, numbers a little happen. lower than usual. Yeah, uh, from the RSSB on, on rail safety. Mm. And usually when we put a safety event on, it's um, one of the lower turnouts. But this one appears to really, really have caught people's interest. So, Interesting, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that will be on YouTube. All of our webinar stuff, uh, for those who don't know, I mean, this audience probably does, uh, gets uploaded onto YouTube uh, so to make it as accessible as possible. Um, yeah, if you're interested in um, what we're doing this week, if you're interested in being part of Rail Week in the future, um, and also just accessing 
uh, a lot of materials and advice, which we're going to be talking the whole raison d'etre this evening, uh, go onto the railweek.com website and you can um, get much more information. And it's and, and it's an it, it's a I mean it's a huge string of events. And the good thing is it's quite a, you know it flexes and and changes depending on who's getting stuck in and who's getting involved each year. So it's it's quite a it's quite a vibrant week of events. Um, you're right. I need to do a better job of pre-plugging it. For some reason, I I mean I pre-plug it as in the week before because it's the rail week. But actually, I need to do a better job of pre-plugging rail week like a month in advance. Um, and actually, perhaps there should be like a rail week section in there. There probably should be a bit of a yeah, a bit of a discussion. A bit of a discussion in the Discord server about Rail Week in advance of it. But more on that later. Simon, you you you're on the Discord server. You can get get stuck in on that front. Anyway, right. So, indeed, we have. I'll go back to go back to our, our non faces. So that the, the Rail Week and more about Rail Week later. More about what events are to come later in the week um, towards the end of the episode. But really, without further ado, it, it only I need to basically tell everyone. Um, that it's uh, that we're kicking off, and to welcome everyone to tonight's Rail Natter. And as the lovely Intercity Two Two Five and its glorious swallow livery fade away. We um we actually bring up the title card from the episode one year ago when we had Harriet joining us. Harriet Glenn joined us to talk exactly about what we're going to be talking about, although with perhaps a slightly different angle. So I'm going to bring bring George back up in the corner there. And um yeah, so 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 last year episode for episode thirty, uh, confusingly the thirty first episode of Rail Natter, we had uh, the first of this this sort of what is now going to become a an annual running, essentially measure of how successfully the industry is coping with the skills gap. Um, which which was yeah talking about the skills gap for real week and and I think it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about which is why I think it's worth dedicating an annual episode to look at it to review it to to speak to someone who's kind of uh, got a reasonably George you're an excellent person to talk about this hence why we have you on you know for this year uh, skills gap what skills gap round two um the reason you're an excellent voice in this is because you through through being the chair of of uh, of the national chair of YRP. And uh, and through you know you kind of dealing with the kind of the companies and and YRP sits right across not just engineering but right across so every organisation that can work in the rail industry, people kind of come and get involved in in, in young rail professionals, and so uh, every year I think it'd be good to get someone in to talk uh, you know to talk about this or their, their their feelings and so this year George it's a pleasure to have you along. Thank on you which note, much. on which note, mm-hmm. I'd quite like. Uh, if you could tell us all um, a bit about yourself and what you do. So uh, I'm going to put this image up in the background, and you don't have to mention or allude to this, but you're welcome to if you wish to. George, tell us, tell us, tell us what you do in your day job, and then a bit about your uh, a bit about your role. And also, given that it's a skills episode, tell us a bit about what your kind of pathway into the real industry was. Sure. Well, you've set me right up there um, with that picture of a very exciting constructed site on a station that um, people on this. Uh, video will almost certainly recognize uh, and maybe not not love so much um, but we're trying to do something about that um, so I am the uh, station sponsor for Houston for High Speed 2 Limited um, nobody um, I think outside of sponsorship really understands what a sponsor does um, I'm still trying to work it out myself but the way I always describe it is we're responsible for requirements going that way from the client into the project with the flow of money and then um, 
assurances that the client's getting what they want going in the other direction and maybe with some controls and authority and, and things um, along the way. But essentially what it means is I am the proxy client helping the Department for Transport try and work out what it wants to do uh, uh, with Houston Station and, and try to make sure that the uh, the team there that, that are running the two and a half billion pound project within HS2 um, have all of the um, authority that they need um, uh, from Treasury, from Cabinet Office uh, and, and all of the various restrictions and constraints placed on, on the project to move forward. So I'm really in the in the middle of a flow of information into government about the project and then back in uh, maybe uh, not quite as strong a flow from government uh, into a, into HS2. Uh, because as many people know, it's been plagued with some complexity, some real difficulties in, in trade-offs. Um, clearly, it's a, it's a highly constrained site as an existing, very busy uh, uh, London terminus. Uh, of which, as you can see, we've started there in that picture, which I must say is quite out of date. I'm just getting on a bit. This is, I, you know, yeah. what I should yeah. try. What, while you keep explaining, I'm going on the HS2 Twitter account to see if they put any more recent ones up. So, uh, talk about okay. yourselves. <laughs> um, th- so, you, you can see already we've started with there's um, the conventional stations being dismantled there. You can see platform 17 and 18, the roof, the train shed, the parcel deck, so forth being taken back. Um, that's actually now happened, and all of 17 and 18 is is open to the uh, uh, to the atmosphere, um, and that that in itself you know presents a, a mighty challenge when you're trying to build a new station. You know the rate at which you take away those platforms, those passenger services, you impact the existing station, and that's always being traded off with that end state benefit. You know you're building a railway for a hundred years, you know that uh, the revenue that the government that, that the treasury is going to get back. So every day of delay is another day of of, uh, of not taking those revenues and passenger impact. Um, mixed in with that, of course, you've got uh, the vibrant uh, local uh, community of the London Borough of Camden, highly populated, uh, one of the poorer boroughs. Um, and so regeneration is really important for the Borough of Camden. We're being incredibly disruptive with this project. You know, you're, you can only see one bit of the construction site in Camden here. Of course, it extends right out towards what is north or the left of the picture up of the approaches yeah um and and so it's really important for camden that we actually bring some benefit for the people that are sort of suffering our disruption for quite an extended period of time and and if you think about um the the, the redevelopment that, uh, of the network rail station which is um oh <laughs> don't worry about that that's fine no. <laughs> i'm doing things in the background everyone you can hear chaos going on it's fine it's fine it's worth it i promise <laughs> Um, you know, if, you, if you think about the network rail station, which is, has plans for redevelopment um, over the over the you know the subsequent years, perhaps concurrently with the HS2 station, TBC, uh, you've got a very long period of disruption. Adding to that, the fact that it's a central node of the TfL bus network, uh, not a network I'm particularly familiar with, other than um, it makes uh, doing work at the front of the station really really difficult. Uh, rerouting those buses um, and all the you know the delays and impacts that that has, um, it's uh, you know it's a highly contentious, visible part of the uh, the HS2 network and a fantastic opportunity to be involved um, uh, for for me, but um, never an easy day. I I do um, smile when I think that I'm I think when we joined uh, when I joined the project a couple of years ago, I think we were further on in the design than where we've actually ended up. Uh, recently it's it, it i mean it's true that you've got to get the design right before you really get stuck into the to the site but 
there are cha- when you've got the challenges, particularly with um, George Caviarius, particularly when Lendley's are getting excitable about oversight development. Um, lots of the pre- and, and also it being a political football, you know, this idea that we need to save a few hundred million on a project that is, you know, eighty-eight billion plus. It's a bit doolally when you're talking about constraining, you know. But anyway, you you know all this. It's that umming and eyeing that's critical. Forget what what the ultimate outcome is. If it is going to be ten platforms, that's going to be a real problem. But at least let's just agree that and get on with it and get building the thing. Otherwise, it's going to be zero platforms for quite a lot longer than people would like it to be. So yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. And look, um, this month the six monthly parliamentary reports coming out on HS two. So that's our opportunity to draw a line in the sand for that. I mean, I know where it's headed, but I can't say until the minister writes to Parliament. Uh, at that point, like you say, we've got a baseline. Um, there, you know, there is a lot of work going on in the background. Um, the future is bright for the station design. There's some really cool things about it. Um, it's going to be an amazing, um, amazing railway station. And the fact that it's right next to another huge station it's going to be a kind of some pancreas king's cross hybrid you know this is awesome little node for transport that's going to see uh, many many thousands tens of thousands of people every day using the station so um yeah yeah um, before you talk about what your pathway was um and as people will have heard slash seen as i chaotically made it happen in the background uh these shows are always improvised uh, i have uh, here's one i did earlier we've we've nicked a video which should uh, and you can correct anything that's not quite up to date but this video seems okay. fairly recent it's about it's from hs2 about euston so for anyone who is interested in euston um here's a video uh so here's i, I, t- I turned the music off so this is hopefully a bit more recent uh, it is much more. So you, you can see the the um, open space there yeah, where actually, you know platform can... seventeen and eighteen have gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they've gone there. So you can see them. They've they've been nabbed. Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, the power signal box, which has just dif- disappeared on the left, uh, that's oh, gone now. This is all oh. very snazzy. You know what? <laughs> oh golly! You know what? Let's let's flick back and just pause when it ah, zooms okay, in because that'll yeah. be easier. So when I go. Uh, when that disappears, is it going to disappear? Right, let's pause there. Okay, right there. Yep. So the so old the, power signal box is here. Yeah, that's gone. That's gone. Um, the the tent, big white thing. Yep, that was for the last of the exhumations. So people will probably know that the. Uh, uh, some... Oh, we briefly lost you, George. Uh, someone switched your Wi-Fi router off. Oh, we might have lost George. We'll get George back momentarily. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and re-interned. Oh, we've got you back, George. Uh, don't we? We've uh, got was... you back. Sorry. Yes, it was. It was. You're getting rid of all the ah. people, the, the the burial, and then putting people back exactly elsewhere. So that's yes. the last of the, that's the last of that job. Um, and the site hasn't moved on that much. Um, I would say that the new um, vent shaft for the TFL substation, um, oh, yeah. which is um, under where it says terminus. Oh, yeah, just, just uh, that's kind of being done. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a big temporary structure there to allow them to dig right down. Oh, yeah, you oh can there you can it. see it. There you, you are, there's the headhouse. Nice. Yeah, yep. lovely. Um, so, that, so that dig is uh, complete down to as deep as it's going to go, and now they've broken out and they're, they're working their way towards the Royal Court. Royal GPs, College of Royal GPs, which is uh, towards the bottom left corner. So that's where the old. So that was one of the challenges with the the old, um, very nice, you know, the uh, uh, the tube station that's there that's famously been pulled apart. 
Um, I yep. think, and you can maybe correct me on that, I think the bits are being used to go, I mean, that thing, it's not going to be re- rebuilt elsewhere. It's going to be used to repair, I think the bits are going to be used to repair other e- similar I, era stations. Is that right? What I do know is that the, uh, I sound like a politician then, what I, do, <laughs> what I do know is that the tiles will not be thrown away. Yeah. You know, the, the period items will be stored for, like you say, either cladding, uh, a new bit of infrastructure that needs a bit of a vintage look to fit in or repairing some of the listed properties, yeah. Yep. But yep. the challenge with that going is that there is still infrastructure that needs to be there for the underground, hence the construction of this of the vent shaft and, and the work that you can see in the little tent there. Um, I yep. know we've gone off on one about you, Sim, but it is quite interesting because it's such an in- enormous, you know, it's an absolutely enormous... I could talk, I'd be happy to talk about it for hours. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is a fascinating place. And, and look, with all of the delays and the frustration over scope going on and the rumbling on in the background, you know, we're getting on with um, with a really challenging site. There used to be two hotels there. There was a whole raft of corporate structures that have been, you know, office blocks and things that have been pulled down. Um, and there's almost a brownfield site ready for us to build this incredible new station. Indeed, it's exciting. I, I like that it showed there's a lot of light shown in these uh, and kind of skylights shown in these. I'm interested to know to what extent that manifests itself in reality, but uh, we'll get there. It's well, funny. when you stick some tower blocks on top, uh, I'm not sure how much light will make its way down, but I think that was the aspiration. Yeah, we'll see. And it can work. You know, buried stations can work. But the thing that makes them work is by having high ceilings and not having Lendly squeeze how much ceiling you have. Because it can work if you've got loads and loads of room above and it feels spacious and doesn't feel claustrophobic. Anyway, right. So there we go. That's that. That's that. And there's the site. And it's enormous. And you can just see the scale. You can see the scale, actually. For, that's a nice shot because you can see that this is. it doesn't just end. It continues going quite a lot further up it's just it is a spectacular site I, I actually walked it i can't remember why i ended up walking right the way round and up to sort of just get a feel for it and then back to the, the big cigarette building that's there and then back round just to kind of get a feel for the scale and i was walking for like an hour and a half it's just massive absolutely massive oh anyway right so while that it disappears off and then the hs2 logo appears um actually you know what let's go big faces because george how did you get into you're, you're, it's it's a slightly different pathway to mine. You know, you're not a civil engineer. You came came up as a uh, mechanical and electrical background, I think. Is that that's right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah tell us about your um, your pathway into engineering. Well, into into the railways rather. So uh, I wanted to be an engineer, but I didn't know what sort of engineer. So I chose two types of engineering: um, mechanical and electrical. So I did um, or electronic, I should say. So I did oh, okay. a, an yeah. integrated degree. Yeah. So it's about control systems. Um, which actually apply quite well to trains, you know, motors, power generation, control, uh, communications, information, data, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite a generalist degree. Um, when I finished, I didn't actually want to go and do any work at all. I wanted to go to Australia and have some fun. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so I went to Australia and managed to do a month of traveling before I ran out of money and then had to get a job. So I fell into, um, <laughs> I know, I didn't do it very well. Nice. I, I fell in fell into a, um, a job at Macquarie University. They had a shortage of, of lecturers, and so I became an academic tutor for a year, teaching nice. basically what I just learned, mm. um, which was a, an amazing experience um, and, a, and a great way to experience a country. If I can recommend one, is go and get chummy with the university because you know you get people from all over the country, and they're all very uh, happy to have you, and you become their new best friend, and it's, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, um, I got back from Australia, needed a job. I was looking for engineering uh, uh, jobs and um, what was then Parsons Brinkhoff and is now WSP UK. I uh, had a systems engineering job in rail and that's, that's, that's how I started rail. 
it's there you go so that, interesting that you've also done a bit of teaching i I, th I think it's difficult to say everyone should do teaching because that just doesn't work like that but doing te having a teaching role or getting involved in, in actually educating or or indeed you know um not just broadly talking about skills but say you know being a mentor for an apprentice or a graduate is a really great way to become a better engineer or, or not just engineering but a better whatever it is that you happen to do it's really good for growing your own skills um the idea that those who can't do teach that like that phrase is stupid and makes no sense whatsoever because if you teach you are it's you, you really have to know what you're talking about because you will get asked a question that in a or you will get asked about something in a way that you've never thought of before and if you don't know your onions you'll be stumped so uh yeah, it's interesting that you've also done a bit of teaching. Um, cool. So, without so with basically that's so that's your route in. So it's so through WSP and then into and then so from WSP kind of hopped over to. Are you seconded into HS2? This is that no one cares. No, about so in the I, chat, but I, you are. No, in, I I went to the Department of Transport. Uh, I, I think I might be in, go down history as the shortest career in the civil service. Um, I think I managed sixteen months. Uh, really? Working at the DFT, yeah, which, look, I loved my time there. I did. Um, but I wanted, I quickly realised I wanted to be much closer to the project. I wanted to stay working with government. I think my skills, you know, communication skills and kind of a master of, oh, no, hang on, jack of all trades, master of none, not <laughs> humble brag. <laughs> humble brag. Um, uh, really suit me to working with basically people who don't know what they're talking about but really need to. Mm. Um uh, you know the, the vast majority of the civil service they're generalists um who who are you know have great responsibility for spending vast amounts of taxpayers money and i love being in a position to help them do that in you know in, in the best way possible so it made sense i went over to sponsorship in hs2 um and yeah haven't looked back nice so from your career to going back to yrp because and i always it's always useful to talk about what you know to give give people an introduction to what yrp is because it's not some some people occasionally confuse it with being oh it's an it's an alternative to one of the you know uh, professional institutions. It's not. It's a very different organisation. So, um, so we've got a few slides. So the, the, this is the YRP logo, everyone. Yeah, look at it. It's nice. Um, it's the YRP logo. But I think I suppose it's probably best to just pop these bits on for you to talk about what YRP is and a little bit about what it's about and and why it exists and and and, and a little bit um a bit of background for people who perhaps aren't familiar with YRP. Yeah, certainly. Okay, so I think we're going to talk in a bit, a little bit about the the problem statement that we're here to to address. Uh, essentially, the skills shortage in rail. Uh, but there's more to YRP than just than just than that just that, that, that sort of very serious agenda. Um, YRP was set up 12 years ago by four founders um, who basically wanted a place for uh, young and early career professionals uh, in rail to uh, to get together to collaborate, to network, to develop, because the rail industry is um, dominated outside of work, I think, by uh, our, our big institutions. Uh, and 12 years ago, the rail industry had an awful lot of modernizing to do. It's come on a long way. Uh, but in terms of um, diversity and promoting that diversity, uh, um, getting together and actually going out into the world to try and address the skill shortage. And also looking internally, and, and putting a real focus on its young uh, leaders of the future. Um, I say young, um, not just young, of course, early career pro professionals, people moving into the industry, yeah, yeah. bringing with them their, their experiences from other places. And, and then, you know, ensuring that the right um, systems, the right structures are in place to get the best out of those young people as quickly as possible. Um, 
because the industry, let's face it, and we're going to come on to this, the industry needs to sort out its productivity. It needs to sort about out its bloating workforce costs um, to remain sustainable for the future. So that's kind of why the thing was started. So there are, then there are three main things that you can see on the, the screen that we do. So promotion is about that looking internal. It's about um, celebrating um, the work of our young people and their contribution to the, to the industry. Um, inspiring is about going outside of the industry and changing the mentality of how people see rail rather than just a, a set of sliding doors or that um, you know sinking feeling when the train's late. Or even that the workforce is is a, is really a bunch of old men in orange um, outfits, uh, and that that's all there is. But yeah. that or a tails and a top hat, of course. Yeah, quite. <laughs> um, and then developing is um, uh, is about the um, putting in place the professional development systems and structures um, for young people and early career professionals to to to, to bloom really. And I think it's worth point. It's worth kind of momentarily just pausing on that last last feature because it's something that, um, yes, the professional institutions uh, to an extent facilitate. But this is where YRP kind of has a bit of a, a unique role. Um, you know, obviously we need to bring we need. I mean, we need. It's interesting you talk about bloating workforce costs. Is it? Yeah, that is an issue. It's an issue because there are so few of us that our rates per person and lots of critical resources are higher than they necessarily need to be but we also need to be growing as a workforce a part of also that is it's not that's not that's not the only thing though and part of it is having the we talk about having the right people in the right place and quite a lot of people who are in the rail industry aren't necessarily they might well be in the rail industry but they're not necessarily in the right place and so one of that one of the things i think yrp facilitates fantastically is um is the networking element not just for career forwarding but also for for people finding out roles that they may either didn't know existed or didn't know they could access and then being able to get into those roles in a way that wouldn't have, you know, they, they meet people, they can make, create those contacts so they can get into a role where they really do feel like they have found their calling. And in doing that, they are able to be you know, more productive, have a more fulfilled career and achieve, you know, and, and push us towards, you know, a railway network that ultimately that, that is functioning better. Yep, so I couldn't, um, couldn't agree more. I've seen it many, many times. Colleagues at YRP, they've, they've met somebody uh, and opportunities arisen. They've got that connection. They're interested. They they feel like they're in a space where they can ask open questions. It's not a one way recruitment process because uh, they know someone on the inside. You know, I um I just got somebody. I'd like to think that my support just got somebody. Um, you know, a place in HS2 that they wanted. So it just it shows it works. Um, and of course the skills that you get at YRP, either just through engaging uh, with events, so networking, going to a webinar, something like this. You know, learning those sort of less tangible things that 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 really broaden your horizons. Um, but then actually being a part of YRP on the committee, taking on a leadership role, having ownership for a certain thing. People at the start of their careers, you know, you just don't get those opportunities for two or three years. And then actually that's quite frustrating for a lot of people. And we can't afford for those brilliant types and, you know, for basically anybody not to be fulfilling their, their potential as quickly as possible. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things that... You know, in the past, we, you know, we've changed. This is partly a generational thing in that we, unlike previous generations, unlike people who, for example, were on the, the British Rail grad scheme, um, mm. of which we've had, I'll point out, a few actually who have been on Rail Natter because so many people in the rail industry went through that process, which was a fantastic grad scheme. It was fantastic. And the railway almost could do with something replicating that. However, however, generationally, millennials and definitely Gen Z 
are not we're not ones to sit on our hands for three years sort of running through a grad scheme and actually we're quite keen particularly people younger than you and i actually george quite keen to get into a role that they really feel fits them quite quickly and that's something that actually isn't necessarily well facilitated by the kind of the the, the rigid structure pathways and when yrp offers a chance to sort of skip past that get around that find your way into a role and indeed hear about roles that you aren't aware of that, that really fit fit better and it's another thing that you know yes we can fairly easily access good high quality sort of uh, seminars and things to expand our knowledge within our discipline and maybe even adjacent disciplines so engineering wise i can get access to you know civil engineering you know uh electrical or, or kind of electromechanical engineering stuff engineering stuff quite easily it's much harder for me to get access to some of the customer facing stuff and understand how that part of the industry yeah. works. It's harder for me to understand the finance world. It's harder for me to have chats with civil servants to understand what their demands are and what they're kind of looking for. And people, so it's, again, YRP facilitates that. And I think it's really great that it does. Um, so, sorry, I've, we've, we've gone off one again, but I, I think it's worth pointing out. But a lot of people query what the point of YRP is. And I think some of that's, it's really important to kind of make, kind of have that, explain why it has that value. Um, talking of values, George, take it away at the next part of the slide. Well, I don't think I really need to go through these. They've been on the screen. I mean, they're <laughs> say the word fun expect. out loud, George. Say it. <laughs> well, look, it's important. I was at um, a conference last week talking to apprentices, and I said, "What's you know what what's the best thing about being an apprentice?" And of course, everyone was really embarrassed and quiet and didn't say anything. And I said, <laughs> "Well, it's certainly not the salary, yeah, because no. that's what comes later in your career. You know, stress and salary. The best thing about this point of your career is that you can learn, make mistakes, and actually enjoy it." I mean, truly, just I remember when I started in the industry and I was just learning about all these things. I was getting excited about things like ETCS. You know, now the thought just sort of makes me groan and think, oh, God, what a, <laughs> what, what a difficult thing to get your head around. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, I was like, give me the manuals, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what why. Look, and the other great thing about YRP that kind of loops all of that stuff in is you can make as, as little or as much of it as you want. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you mentioned with Rail Week. It's very organic. Every year, it, the type of events and how it's run really depends on the skill set of the people who've got involved. Some years will be bigger than others. Some years will be louder than others. Mm. Some years will have more high-quality content. Um, but with YRP, you can dip in as little or as much as you want. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm going to press this button because uh, just for anyone, people are talking about YRP and sort of the general general things that... Um, uh yeah that yrp organized and things we'll come to some of the events that yrp organized in a moment but uh it's, it's just worth very briefly talking about how yrp is accessible one i mean actually this is one of my criticisms of yrp and and they're getting better but it was always very and you're wincing because you know exactly what i'm about to say which is that it's always been very london focused and that's something that everyone being involved in yrp tries to break down but it's almost like it's almost like a consequence of the fact that the industry continues to be quite london focused and that so anyway, so yeah. on that one, having dropped you in it there, um, you can talk a bit about regional structure. <laughs> so, look, the whole point of the regions was to try and get away from that. Look, there's got to be a centre because we're a small team of volunteers. Yeah, exactly. We have to manage basically the finances, the legal responsibilities of the business. And yes, that is. And I think for the foreseeable future going to be based in London. But the work we do in London is a fraction of, of how important what the regions do. And the regions are active and massive. They have, you know, that's where the events, the majority of the, the events happen. 
Um, and that's there's an awful lot of committee activity uh, in the region doing the real YRP stuff. Almost what I've put up here isn't very fair because it makes it appear like the stuff on the right is more important, but it really it really isn't. And look, when I became chair um, last year, this is my second year, I set up a head of regions role, head of initiatives and a head of external accounts. And we expanded the chair's office into this exec that um, that that tried to take the focus off of that kind of business focus in, in the southeast and say, right, how are we making decisions? How are we making YRP work for all of the initiatives we put on? And most importantly, how are the regions then represented? Absolutely. Uh, Simon, uh, just before I forget to say it, uh, this is entirely, well, it's not irrelevant, but it, membership is free, everyone. Uh, just going to shout that just before either of us forget to say it. It's free. It's free. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, also, noting, there's Bonnie Price. We had Bonnie on talking about Christmas stuff um, over Christmas, actually. Uh, good fun having uh, hearing from Bonnie. Um, and look, I've just, I think I should think I deserve an announcement. Fee and Bonnie were up for Women in Rail Awards uh, last week. Bonnie won Inspirational Woman of the Year Award. So congrats to Bonnie. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And this is the first year that we've had a gender, um, would you say, not neutral, gender, equal gender Like a reasonable gender split, like a 50-50 gender split, right? Yeah, 50-50, absolutely. Mm. Um, Which is is a great achievement in the chair's office. So So the directors of YRP finally... I was going to say, it's not, that's not the case on what we can see on screen, but it's that the broader sort of looking across the regions as well. Uh, actually, across the regions, we have pretty good diversity. It's, it's a, certainly industry beating. Uh, but the chair's office, who are the top four there. Sorry, it's ah, not very okay, clear. Ah, okay, that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, got you. yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, there we go. It's fantastic. Well, it, it's doing a Perhaps better job. Of, I mean, you have to lead by example. And so if YRP is being yeah. more representative of the industry, that's how it should be because people yeah. need to be able to see that that is what we should be aspiring to it's not it's not a case of going ah well you know the industry's kind of you know one in ten uh is uh, you know of, of people employed are, are, are women so uh, it's important to lead by example so yeah really good stuff so to answer the what happens what are the events question well all manner of uh george i mean here are some pictures <laughs> Here are some pictures i mean here are some pretty exciting pictures doing the stuff we really love doing we've got uh, Heritage Railway um, work that we do. That's at Fastiniog, I think, on the top left. Ooh, um, oh, we've got the annual dinner in the middle. We do that every April. Uh, we've had to miss two because of COVID, so we're really excited about next April. People are going to be exploding before they get there with you know the anticipation of what they've been waiting for for two years. <laughs> um, uh, the next one is our uh, our webinar on uh, networking and development work. There's Mahanid there, I think, during Rail Week last year potentially the year no it would have been the year before because of covid mm. um talking to a bunch of people then we've got our young rail tours uh division and uh, that's the for uh, taken from the uh the trip to japan probably guessed um then we've got rail week what we're talking about today doesn't need any more explanation and then we do loads of like feel good stuff that's good for the soul and also good for the people who need our help. So that's our Railway Children affiliation there. Um, that's our, our primary um, charity of choice. Excellent. And so I just realized we've like, I was talking about how quickly Rail Natter goes right. And it's it's currently 1947. And uh, oh, good grief. So, right, I'm going to hide briefly hide our faces. And also I'm going to very briefly dwell. I'm not going to dwell long on this slide. This is the slide that we put up uh, when Harriet and I were talking about the skills gap um, a year ago. And this this graphic is quite an old graphic. And so I'm just going to pop it on screen. I'm not going to draw attention to anything other than the fact that the numbers of the shortfall of skills is like into the hundreds of thousands of people 
and and this this sort of kind of infographic breaks down some of those challenges and where those challenges lie. And I think what you've you've given a, a kind of quite a nice specific breakdown that I think we're going to go if I bring your yes. bring your miniaturized face back. Um, quite a nice breakdown. That I think we're going to go through and we'll find out whether. Uh, yeah. So so essentially, I thought we'd go through each of these in turn, very kind of reasonably briefly, and highlight some of those issues. So. Um, so yeah, I mean yeah. So only sixty. I mean, we talked about the fact that it's about one in ten people are are women in in the rail industry, and that you know that is the case. Sixteen percent of the current workforce is is are, are women. Um, yeah, I mean, can I just um, interrupt you because I, sure. I, I read something the other day. It was the um, the chair of the Transport Select Committee, Hugh Merriman, was commenting on how irresponsible he thought that the haulage industry was for its inability to modernize and then turning to the government and blaming it when um you know it's wage suppression that kept people out of working there and the fact that less than one percent of the haulage workforce is female and it's a really great illustration actually of how fragile you can make a workforce if you try and draw 99 percent of your workforce from only half of the population you know, we've got to remember that in, if you're going to fix a skill shortage, aside from diversity being a good thing, we're just talking about you know numbers and facts. Dr- you need to open up half of your workforce to half of the population in the country. Done. It's, it's it, it it is yeah exactly it's it's that it's it, it's as simple as that. Um, right. So the next so we talked about uh, kind of the the gender split. Then we're now, now we're going to talk about age. So the average age of the rail industry is uh, workforce is 43, which is better than it used to be, but it still means twice as many people will retire than average for other sectors. Yep. Well, look, there's a good story in this and a bad. If the average age is uh, old, it means we're doing good things like retaining people, that it's a career for life. You know, these are quite positive ways. There are ways to turn this around for people starting their careers. But yeah, it's um, it shows that we are not bringing in enough young people, um, and that, like as you say, there's a pressure. There's a pressure that when those people start to retire, we're going to have a huge gap. And it's and it's the skill. It's it's not just the case that we're losing those people. Um, certainly, the case within like uh, engineering and technical skills within the industry, which is obviously something that I'm kind of more closely seated within. Mm-hmm. It's that skills transfer. If you're losing huge swathes of people that were brought in in an intake, you know, thirty. 30, 40 years ago, uh, indeed, through the last tranches of the BR grad scheme, then there was a huge vacuum in employment. That means there's a huge number of people who are going to retire without that, without there being a steady flow of skills. And it's, it's, it's a real problem. So on, on to the next point. Uh, this is, in, this is a, a, we've alluded to this. It's not about reducing the overall number. Actually, we need to increase the number of people who are employed. And it's about getting rid of wage inflation. What George and I are saying is we're quite happy to be paid less if it means that we uh, <laughs> we have a, a less stressful life because we're not having to do so much overtime. Uh, wage inflation. T- talk a little bit about that, George. Well, I mean, w- wage inflation is, is a natural economic result, like you say, of there being a skill shortage. If you can't fill the role, um, you have to make it more attractive to get people out of other sectors and into your particular role, which has the demand and the and the uh, funding to cover it. And, and that that manifests as wage inflation. And to young people starting in rail, you know, it's great that that the rail salaries are as competitive as they are. 
Um, but that's, that's not sustainable. It's, it should be as important to people starting their careers in an industry that industry is sustainable and could be seen as that, you know, as a, as a, as a, um, a serious component of the future of the nation, i.e. an affordable and productive one as as those those salaries otherwise you get paid really well for three years and then the project will collapse and lose funding because treasury will walk away so it's a serious issue yeah absolutely um, and it also means that fundamentally we're not like if we take a bigger picture stance the rail you know rail capacity needs to double by 2050 right that means we need to be delivering a hang of a lot more projects than we are in a year a, a huge amount more output needs to be happening annually and wage inflation is actually limiting how much we can achieve not just in sort of explicit you know i, I don't money specifically money is not the issue this this episode is about the fact it's the skills you could write treasury could write a blank check tomorrow much as it'd be lovely if they did and we'd be delivering about the rate we are now because we have that that skill shortage and and so it kind of plays into that fact so um we talked about eu workforce so i have personal experience of this this is the workforce lost through um uh the fact that we've lost a lot of eu workers particularly in terms of frontline construction roles but also in design and in other parts so um, yeah, this is this is critical, and I've seen this in our office. You know, we we lost a lot of people through um, Britain being quite a hostile place to work at the moment. If you're if you're uh, an EU citizen, so um, yeah, George, yep. I don't know if you've got any anything else to sort of add to that one. I mean, I don't have much to add to this um, except it just makes our job harder. And it, it it's also frustrating because it's and this is okay. This is a bit of a segue. It's frustrating because we're losing some of those you know diversity of of, of experiences is really critical in, do, in in solving problems better. And this is why we need more women. This is why we need more people of color. This is why we need more people from LGBT backgrounds. This is why we need disabled people to be coming in as as whether it's engineers, frontline staff, whatever it happens to be, because that diversity of thought allows us to solve problems better. And it's the same for people from different countries with different processes and, and, and approaches. So, yeah, this is this is also a bit of a problem and it's a challenge we've got to try and tackle. And actually what we, you know, we need to be attracting those people back, actually. So it's possibly about making the British rail industry attractive for people to come back here and deal with all that stupid paperwork and and actually still want to come and work here. Um yeah, so this is an interesting one. We've alluded to this. More activities in the south, but it is nudging north slowly. Yeah, that that's true. Um, yep. I mean, the Treasury have just rewritten the Green Book uh, to uh, try and get away from that southeast skew towards the value of, a, of, a, of an investment. So that's very positive. Um, you hear Boris talking about building back better and investment in the north. Um, I don't know if you looked at the health of the eastern leg, you might think the same. But, you know, right. it, the, the, what frust- frustrates me is that it, the Treasury does not work by cancel one project, transfer money to another. So it's always a bad thing when you see good investment being turned down. Never believe the the story that it's because it's going somewhere else. Absolutely. That's just not how national uh, yeah. that money work. Ev- is evaporating. And yes. what you mean, what's happening is that that all those people that were going to be paid to make that thing appear aren't paying, and, and the companies, all of them are not paying their tax, uh, which in turn, even by current neoliberal financial framing this doesn't require you to believe in any sort of newer economic theories even by the old neoliberal thatcherite rules that means that you have less daily revenue to be spending on this stuff like you know other projects or schools or the nhs or what, what have you so yeah it's always bad when other project when, when projects give way um it's it's not good so um anyway yeah that's somewhat of a segue but the point is that yeah these uh yeah it, it, more projects in the north don't need to be at the expense of projects in the south it's just that we need to be there needs to be some catch-up regionally and, and actually particularly with the eastern leg 
the East Midlands once again gets forgotten. But anyway, that's a bit of a, a segue. Right, so this is interesting. and I'd like you to explore this one a little bit more. So nearly 40% of the workforce are level two, which is semi, which means they're semi-skilled in, um, in kind of government taxonomy. Talk a bit more about this, George, because, yeah, explain this one to us. So um, I, should, I should come in here and say um, thank you very much to the National Skills Academy for Rail, uh, from whom I uh, pinched things. <laughs> okay, I see where you come this. And then to say that when you pinch things to make yourself look clever, sometimes you don't know uh, <laughs> what all of it means. Now, what I do understand is that, that there are different levels for training, and that's the, that's the national way of, of establishing the, the level of education. So is this – so now this is where I get old. This is where, despite being in, in, in education and being in further education, uh, or was certainly um, – uh, my, I, I I basically made a point of avoiding worrying too much about like NVQ levels, but this is to do with MV, like skills level, NVQ levels, and sort of um, level two. So level three is like degree level. Level two is below degree level. I th- I, I think. So level two, I've got it here. Level two is is like top GCSE grades. Yeah. Um, music grades four and five. Uh, level three, you've got A levels, AS levels. Level three diploma, uh, that doesn't really help. Level four, you've got um, HNC. Level five five is is... HND. Level six is degree apprenticeship, degree with honours. Level seven is master's. Level eight is doctor. There you go. So that's in, so that's about professional. That's partly what to me I see that as being professionalisation in the industry is 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 supporting people to to actually do the training they need. So that means that we have a an industry that potentially hasn't received the training that it, it, it needs to be achieving what it's doing. So, um, yeah, it also shows how little I remember about my uh, MVQ levels because, uh, yeah, nailed it. But, um, yeah, so that's a key thing. Again, it's skills, training. Are we providing the chance for our for our workforce to be doing the training it needs to do? Um, and then this, I think this is the last one. This is interesting. Yeah. This and I is think my, it relates to the previous one quite nicely. Yeah. Only 16% of supervisors are actually trained in management. Yep. I th- this to me, when I when I read it, was both the most shocking and least shocking because um, my experience and the experience of lots of people I've spoken to in YRP is that their managers are great or or can be very good at managing projects, the money, the the the, the technical side of things, but actually when it comes to being a good manager of them and providing the support that they need, they often go elsewhere for mentorship and for that support. And often come to YRP when we get lots of people who simply aren't being managed properly within yeah, their yeah. their organisation, and this directly feeds into the productivity issue. I, th- I think I wrote a, an article for Rail Staff um, last month, talking about how we can try and get more out of people for you know for the same amount of effort, and having a line manager that takes their role seriously in ensuring you've got the support, the guidance, the opportunities, uh, doing all the things that you can't do yet to further yourself is essential absolutely and it's if people aren't feeling like they're you know if people aren't having their progress kind of fed back to them aren't having you know an understanding of what they're achieving aren't feeling like they have the support perhaps for mental health issues or home issues or training uh all these issues that a, a good line manager who ideally is a trained person in managing people if you don't have that then it can be a pretty daunt i i know quite a few engineers who have either change company regularly or indeed have left engineering altogether and this is just engineering have left engineering altogether as a result of dismal line management 
um, and and, have, and not and not having people who can lead you know, other people properly. It's 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 critical. It's absolutely critical. Um, and so we've got all of these points, all these challenges. Conscious of time. We've got all of these challenges. But what what can we do? What what on earth can we do about it? And indeed, what can others do about it? What 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 are the responsibilities? Uh, last time we talked about the fact that a lot of responsibility lies with government in setting a path for the industry. But what can we do about it? And and I suppose this. I was gonna, I was expecting us to have like half an hour of open discussion on this, but it's it's re, it's nineteen fifty nine. So I, I suppose more broad themes and thoughts, George. And then we've got a few questions coming in. So this is the point, everyone, for you to send your queries and questions in. And make sure you at me in because then my name appears in red, everyone, and I can pick up those questions. But send those questions in, George. Kind of what can we do then? What, what as you see it, what are some of the headline things we need to be doing to kind of resolve some of that? So. Um... I mean, we we could we can take this offline and do a do a separate thing, uh, Gareth. If you know if people are interested, we could we could put a, a YRP event together to talk this through. Mm, it seems yeah. a shame to have run out of time to. Uh, yeah, yeah, and we should we definitely should actually. I'd be up for that. Um, but, but broadly, look, the the corporate support that YRP gets shows that businesses are still they recognise the issue. I mean, education of the 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 big the employers is is really important. There are those repeat employers who invest in YRP, invest in their CSR, and there are those that sort of have lip service to their their employees who don't take responsibility for solving these issues. And solving those issues means. Um, you know, reacting to the needs of their workforce, looking forward and investing in their future. Um, and um, a lot of that, you know, you already alluded to the, um, the, the the certainty that the industry needs from government. That is a big part of it. Uh, to, 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 to speak um, RIA language, uh, Rail Industry Association language, you know, the, the enemy of boom and bust. Yes. <laughs> um, so, that, you know, if government, if, if government can, can provide a, you know, a strong roadmap, businesses then have got some confidence and they can take some responsibility for yeah. the future of their workforce that's a good start absolutely it's that it's having that consistency and that stability and we talk and it, it comes we loop right back around to the thing both of us were grumbling about um at the at the start which is that lack of confidence that the industry has has meant that everything is in panic mode and panic mode means you're not doing training you're not necessarily recruiting you're not paying attention to the needs of your staff long term you're in panic mode everyone is panicking jumping onto job codes working on different things uh, desperately trying to keep head above water and that is not the way to grow uh, a stable skilled workforce and, uh, and 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 happy people working for an industry um across the board you know the the lack of comp the lack of certainty that people have in the train operating companies about what's happening about staffing on that front you know it's not just engineering it's not just the back of house stuff mm -hmm. you know People across the board, planners, operational planners, signalers, um, you, you know, you're talking about all the people who work in th things like branding and things like ticketing, like what's happening with that? What's all the, we want, they want to know what's happening with GBR so that they know what they can be doing going forward so that we can grow those skills uh, across the board. Absolutely. That, that really is the key thing. So we've had a few questions that, uh, that have popped up, actually. Um, and some, and it's a bit of an open session, so they might not be specifically relevant to, the, to what we're talking about. But Mike, uh, Mike, Mike Waldridge has asked an interesting question. Um, before he tries to join, uh, is YRP aimed only at those of a certain younger age, or is this relevant to those of us who are slightly older but still younger in the industry? You kind of answered it earlier, George, but maybe you want to address it uh, head on again. Yeah, I did. And to be totally clear, it is for everybody. You could have been in the industry 50 years, be a professor and be a, a member of YRP, because... You know that we are there to help people network and develop. If you think you can get benefit 
from the services that we offer, you're absolutely welcome. There is absolutely no limit, no discrimination. And if you do have a bit more experience or in experience from other industries, then get involved and, 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 and get involved with the committee and take part in actually putting some events together and giving something back. I mean, um, although I absolutely can still get masses of benefit from all of the YP events that are being um, uh, uh, you know, p- uh, published and, and go to these events, I might not choose to because I'm less at the stage of my career now where I need need that breadth or have time to get that breadth. But I can still pick and choose things that are interesting and get something out of it. Um, and now I'm giving back by doing things like this and being chairman. And you get just as many new soft skills from doing that. Absolutely. Um, so we had um, Ignored Ambience further up was making a point saying uh, that uh, they get the feeling that line management is generally poor throughout most employment um, though maybe not as low as 16%. Yeah, it'd be interesting to understand the the kind of the, the balance of that. And I suppose, again, something on that specific point, being in crisis mode often means that people end up in line management roles that aren't, that, that because we're not recruiting, often people who are technical people who aren't maybe, who, and it's not that technical people can't be good line managers. It's not necessarily that good line managers aren't technical people, but often you'll get people who aren't necessarily cut out for or even intended to, be, to do line management ending up in that role because of their skill shortage. It's a bit of a vicious feedback loop there, really. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't, I don't pretend uh, to know across industries what the, uh, how that statistic com- compares. But the fact is, we have a skills problem in rail, and that isn't helping. So, we proactively need to do things to change that. And surely, training, at least providing the training for people to understand the basics of what makes a good line manager and what they need to look out for and what performance, you know, metrics are, uh, uh, need to be part of their role. Uh, and the roles and the metrics they're setting for other people, it's got to be a good start. Absolutely. So um, one of the, so we've got two questions that I'm going to merge into one because they're both kind of complementary to each other. So HST Trains asks, uh, what degrees or paths can you recommend for going into railway engineering? And uh, Jamie Bailey asks, what's the closest a recent non-STEM graduate, stupid decision, not necessarily, um, can get to being involved in the technical side of the railway to fill the gap without having an engineering degree? So those are kind of different but complementary um, questions. I suppose both of us can answer that. Uh, George, I don't know if you want to take that first uh, as a, a sort of thought. Um, so what what pathways are best to go into railway engineering? Um, and also what is the closest you can get to technical stuff without an engineering degree? Okay. So um, I'll start, actually start with the second one. You, without an engineering degree, you can get incredibly te- uh, close to the technical stuff. I mean, I think you probably get closer to the technical stuff without a degree, if I'm honest, because a lot of the apprenticeships are that you can you can access through, um, you know, Network Rail, plenty of others uh, have their intake every year, um, are incredibly hands-on, they're vocational. Um, you um, don't need a degree to work on the operations side of railway, the railways quite often. Um, you know, on the passenger side, the passenger interface, um depots they'll be taking on staff um so um the answer to that is loads of loads of opportunities go on the railway website um have a look there are materials and links there to various resources that will tell you all of what i'm telling you to address the first one uh about um Some different pathways yeah so different, yeah, yeah exactly look there are how many how many different types of railway engineer do you think there are how many different specialisms up oh, there's so, no point listing them because you, you, taxonomy means you could you could list dozens, but you know you, you dozens basically, and, and certainly like there are ten different hugely. Di- if if you want to really split them up, you've probably got ten very very different disciplines, 
and you can split those again by as many you know by as many factors so exactly so i don't i mean the 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 answer is too big to to name here there are so many pathways i chose a quite a general pathway i've always liked trains didn't know i was going to work in the industry uh, my degree meant I had the skills to start off on a grad scheme working for a for a consultancy, and I ended up um, kind of choosing my path into rail that way. Um, but equally, you could go and do you know vibration mechanics at some university and end up being a pantograph specialist, yeah. and that being your, yeah. you know, yeah. Or you can you know you could be doing chemistry and physics and end up as a permanent way engineer. It happens. I kind of yeah, Jamie, your question. So so your question was specifically about. So we kind of answered it quite broadly, but actually about non-STEM. So even entirely non-STEM subjects. I know, and it's interesting that George is on for this answer. And this is just one example, but I know two network rail sponsors that did. One of them did English literature, and the other one did. What did they do? They did like I think they did international politics. Which actually, international politics is probably an excellent degree to do to be a project sponsor but that's two sponsors so doing george's job which you know i suppose you can get as involved in the technical stuff as you're interested to get involved in within that but certainly the role is still you know it, it probably helps to be able to hear where you're being bullshitted and um and so the you can get very close to technical roles without a stem degree uh, and also you can pick stuff up and ultimately then once you're in the door you can then decide oh you know what maybe i'll do a part-time degree at the back a background and maybe sidestep that there are options i think the key thing is that my preference is always to have a as an industry and even within en- not just within engineering not just within technical stuff engineering doesn't have to be technical stuff um as i've kind of said before in a i can't remember which presentation it was i think um actually it was in a meeting for the national Air museum recently um i was talking about the fact that engineering covers more than just what engineers do engineering kind of covers a huge breadth of stuff and it doesn't just mean engineers and so yeah you can really get stuck in and involved uh deirdre detour is saying uh, suggestions for areas that maths graduates can end up in i mean good grief the lot i think <laughs> it's more maths graduates um i know somebody who's done a phd they started in maths they then did a bit of an engineering degree but off the back of a maths degree and they're now an engineer so yeah i, I mean very much but but again yeah not engineering Detour points out timetable planning, signal design, all these things. Modeling, actually. anything with modeling. Uh, yeah, very high in demand sure. at the moment. Data. I mean, I talked about National Skills Academy for Rail um, earlier. That's where I got that information from. And their CEO, Neil Robertson, if you haven't um, met or right. uh, heard him talk, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, someone who's really inspired me through my career. Um, he always talks about data in this thick Scottish accent. Because data is what is going to empower the decisions of the future. That's where the world is going, and the railway industry will be no different. So if you can get yourself um, understanding how to handle big data, you know, in terms of collecting it, processing, analyzing it, and presenting it, um, you, you've got a career for life in this industry. And a few people point uh, with, with interesting comments that I think immediately tie back into that. Gareth Williams just asked about history graduates. I don't know any history graduates. I mean, plenty of, but history graduates are about picking up either qualitative or quantitative data interpreting it and then deriving a useful output which is exactly what george has just been talking about in terms of data like absolutely critical so if you're interested if you've got a history degree you're interested you you will find a role um uh, owen o'neill is a really good example which is that the midlands connect head of rail is a geography graduate that's a non-stem i mean you know human geography is a non-stem subject i think theoretically i don't know the stem boundaries are pretty woolly but that's the that's a non-stem subject uh, really are no barriers to being transport planner you know based on not having a science or an engineering degree uh, ignored ambience mass phd friend went into long-term timetable planning capacity planning geography hugely relevant 
Um, Detoro is a statistician and uh, and and math kind of math stats and teaches on an MSc data science course. You know these, I think, so many examples. I think we can we could labour that point more and and it'd be fun to get uh, it would be fun to have an episode where everyone just comes and tells everyone what their ridiculous pathways were because it's and they're all so diverse. You know, um, yeah yeah uh, right. So okay, I think we've laboured that. Well, we haven't laboured the point. We could I, I think George, we should do and maybe it's another episode. We should do a session that we just we don't put any slides prepped. We literally just kind of put a thing up and, and open it out and have that discussion because it it'd be interesting to, to to explore it. Maybe that's one we can take away offline because it'd be it, you're right. It'd be interesting to explore that. Well, look, um, one of the things that that young robot professionals sorry to interrupt you no, no, just no. on that because one of the things that young robot professionals gives young and early career professionals in rail is a voice, and you would be surprised at how directionless some dishes well you probably wouldn't be surprised but how directionless some decisions are made um in in government and across um you know the the thinking minds of the industry and if we've got something to say and we want to say it to the industry then we, we must you know if we need to appeal to the industry to say these are the things that you need to do to address the skills shortage we're at the raw end of this um then we should so yeah opinions uh, are welcome Absolutely, it'd be interesting to collect them up. Keep keep sending in the chat um, uh, in here and obviously on the Discord server later because it's always valuable chat. The careers section of the Discord server is probably the bit of the, the Railnet Discord server I'm most proud of because there's all sorts of good discussion happens in there, as well as advice and even people even tech each other's CVs in there. It's great. So having having said all that, we're going to close kind of close the episode I think before we move into the, the post amble, which is is there hope, George? Is there is there hope? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> yeah, that's <it>. none. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Credits roll. No, of course there's hope. The stats are moving in the right direction. Um, the industry does have some um, sector beating, um, you know, uh, workforce stats. Uh, we could go into that another time. I'd be pleased to share that. YRP certainly does. And when I look around the regions and I look at the types of people, the backgrounds of people, the work that people are doing, the enthusiasm, um, it does it does give us hope for the future. I'd also say that there is there are huge swathes of the industry that might not represent that diversity that we're looking for. That are mentors who are giving back their time, you know, hours and hours of time to uh, to dedicate to get to bringing the next uh, generation of talent into the industry. It's not all about focusing on on those those diversity stats um so yeah there's definitely hope um i love i love this industry despite being um like i say at the raw end of these of these statistics um and um yeah i, I yeah people might pe- people know that I, I well people say that i rant and i stand and i shout about things and i spend a lot of time despairing about the industry and about stuff around it but i do this i wouldn't do, i wouldn't bother if i didn't think there was hope and i wasn't actually perhaps confusingly for people, a tremendous optimist about what the railway industry can achieve. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be doing rail natters. I wouldn't be doing any of this if I didn't if I didn't feel vigorously and strongly optimistic about the future for the rail industry. Um, so absolutely there is hope. There is absolutely hope. Oh, right. So having said having said there's hope, there's, there's currently no hope for the podcast because I still haven't managed to fix the uh, the audio-only podcast thing. It, it's coming. The fix is coming, everyone. But uh, So uh, Railnat are not currently available in audio-only form because it's it's Brock, a Brocket. Um, that's fine, though, because people on Patreon are, and, and on the Discord server are helping me to fix it, thanks to those people. Um, 
yeah, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis if you want to make these sorts of things happen more and choose future guests and episodes and themes and get involved in exclusive stuff. Uh, the Discord server is where all of this happens, but more and 24-7. Uh, Gareth Dennis UK slash Discord. I, I'm now at the point where I vaguely know what a Discord server is. So, you know, progress. Uh, and then if you want to throw loose change at me vigorously and violently, then paypal.me to slash Gareth Dennis is also fine. And, and every little helps on there. And it kind of goes into the pool and allows me to do more on location stuff and and maybe expand her, the rail matter horizons. Um, it is possible. So having said that, Rail Week, George, Rail Week is still, it's it's not finished yet. It's not the 10th of October. It is merely the 6th of October. So have, going back to your large face, tell us more about what's coming up on, in Rail Week for the rest of the week. Well, I implore you to go onto our website. I know people don't really like websites anymore and it's all going to be on a constant feed. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that sometimes they are a very useful tool for communicating a, a large, a comprehensive amount of information. Um, the other place to go and look for um, our events is on the YRP, uh, so youngrailpro.com website. Um, and you can see events way past um, Rail Week into, uh, into the future. We've got Heritage Railway events coming up. Um, we've got a series of welcome to rail, um, events. So for those of you who are asking questions about, um, you know, how do I get into rail or if you really are just a brand new this year on the intake, mm. YRP's teamed up with network rail. And we've got a series of these, um, these talks going on, uh, through, um, through the year, every fortnight until Christmas. Um, so yeah, lots of exciting things going on. Um, lots of things that aren't on the website that I should probably know about that are just happening organically yeah. around the country. People go, oh, yeah, it's Rail Week. Oh, we'll, we'll put a stand up here. We'll, we'll hand out pamphlets here and there. Um, so lots going on. Absolutely. And it's worth saying a reminder to everyone that, um, you know, YRP membership is free, folks. So uh, get involved. Um, Absolutely. Make it happen. And, and it's the advantage of it being free. And I, I suppose to, to kind of the last point I'm, I'm going to make about YRP is that, YRP kind of, uh, you know, the, the, it's diff again, it's different to professional institutions. It's not instead of them. It sort of operates differently. It does different things. And in a way, it stitches a lot of those together. It allows, you know, people in the IRO or the IET or the PWI or the IC or the IMECI or uh, AN other to all kind of combine across and kind of cross over those boundaries. So it's sharing the skills across and, and the people skills and the, the experiences across those boundaries. So it's, 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 it's a really important part of the mix and it's free. So, um, yeah. Uh, now, what else have I got to continue doing plugs for? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's my turn for plugs. This Friday, if you're interested in such things, uh, it's um, it's anarchy on the... In fact, no, it's not anarchy, but the uh, the people are taking over on the uh, on the archipelago. So come and join that on Friday night if you know on earth, what on earth I'm talking about. Um, and next episode, which I had to decide what was going to happen uh, 20 minutes before the episode started. But what I'm going to do, actually, it might interest some of you, is how do you fit bigger trains on the British Railway Network? And I'm going to go through, it's, there's sufficient water under the bridge for one of my um, route gauging projects. It's one of the things I'm a specialist on. And it's going to be an episode where I basically talk through what one of those is and how one of those works. So we're going to be talking about how you get fatter trains to travel on the British Railway Network. So hopefully that'll be interesting. I'll th put drawings and also a glossy video that might uh, might be interesting or people might laugh at. That uh, generally will give you a chance to explore. And it'll give maybe some of you who are interested a bit of a hint as to what I actually do in my day job because I never really talk about that much on here. Anywho, um, George, uh, it only oh. really remains to say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's It's been chaotic. We're 18 minutes after, which is frankly not too bad for a rail natter these days. Um it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground there. 
we covered less ground in the open Q&A, which was, I suppose, inevitable. But uh, I think we covered a lot of really useful stuff there. We talked a lot at the start, actually. I think it was it was useful. Um, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Um, I like to think of myself as um, accessible. So uh, you can get my details through the website or LinkedIn or whatever. Um, you know, I welcome questions on this stuff. Uh, if anyone's got any questions about joining YRP, you've got any good ideas, um, get in touch. Um, thanks so much for having me to talk about what I, I love to talk about. Um, there's, no, there's no thing in the world better to be interviewed about something you're really passionate about. It's true. <laughs> very true. It's very, very easy to talk. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being interviewed about level boarding tomorrow, which very much is on that theme. It's something that I'm so passionate about. I have done zero prep. and I need to do some stats prep because stats are nice, but it's so easy to talk about things you love. Um, and I'm going to end on a question, actually, because it's a, a useful and relevant question before we both tip our hat and wave vigorously, which is... Um, can you join YRP if you're not in the industry, but you're young and interested? Yes. There you are. Good night, everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's a yes, you can. If you're, if I mean, YRP, particularly for like, I know for graduates, it was like, you, know, you go and speak to graduate, people are still kind of, not graduates, sorry, to, to like undergrads. You go and speak to undergrads and talk about the rail industry. So there is a connection to pre-industry people. Absolutely. Look, the, um, the chair of the West Midlands, Vina. She is, she works for Talent, and she no longer works in rail. She did, but now she doesn't, and she still wants to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. It's something that people are very keen to, to facilitate the industry as a whole, and sometimes that is still being done if they're technically outside of that industry. George, I think that nicely shows how, how much passion can be inside, you know, the industry can incite, which is nice to end on a bit of a hopeful note. It's Definitely. been such a pleasure. George, George Shilke, everyone. And it only remains for us to both sort of shout cheerio loudly into our microphones. Cheerio, everyone. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.